Welcome to Thorne's To The Point Podcast. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome everyone to The Point Thorne Podcast. I'm Dr. Alan Miller from Thorne, and I am very happy to introduce you to you today. Uh, Joel Tortoro. Uh, Joel is a registered dietitian with over a decade of experience in trauma and sports medicine and nutrition. And Joel is currently, I'm going to let you uh, introduce what your current position here is at Thorne. Yeah, so I'm the uh, director of sports science here at Thorne and uh, kind of going on three years here. So it's been an exciting ride. Prior to Thorne, and, and I know you downplay this, but prior to Thorne, uh, Joel served three years as sports dietitian for the University of Michigan and eight years at the New England Patriots. I'm hearing cheers and boos. I know, I know. Uh, where he was first, uh, the, the first full-time sports dietitian in pro sports. And uh, that's the part that grabs me right there. Uh, Joel also served as uh, an elected board member for the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitians Association. Uh, Joel, welcome. Hey, great to be here. Now, I've known you for a few years now, and I've never gotten the full story about your experience in professional football. Um, what made you think, fresh out of college, that you could just go to the New England Patriots and be the first sports dietitian in pro sports? Yeah, uh, the funny <laughs> thing is uh, you couldn't. It wasn't a thing, right? There, it wasn't a full-time job. Uh, that's how young the profession is. Uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, the end of my time at the University of Connecticut, uh, Dr. Kramer and Dr. Volick, uh, who ran the, the top-rated kinesiology program in the country, came to UConn. So ideal situation. Uh, Dr. Volick's been an amazing mentor of mine. So he was the first uh, PhD kinesiology uh, dietitian that I knew it, it, that existed. You know, so uh, it, it was great to, to kind of get have that in my mind from him that this is a way this is where the the industry was going you know that you could be apply medical nutrition therapy to the highest level of sport um but i kind of uh still back in uh 2002 when i when i left it wasn't full-time job you could consult you can you know there are consultants out there with pro teams mm-hmm. you could you know work on the, on the weekends there was i was near boston so there were always marathon training so you could you could dabble in sports but it wasn't a, a full-time profession so uh, I was working ICU, trauma nutrition, and uh, uh, I was actually uh, taking a stats course to apply for PA school. I was going to be a, a, a GI PA, <laughs> working with all the, you know, the internal medicine uh, docs at the, at the hospital. And I was like, hey, this is very exciting. And then uh, I got a call from Dr. Bullock, and he was like, hey, I got a call you should probably take. So I thought I was kind of inter- interviewing for, you know, to give a couple of lectures during training camp or something. You right, know, yeah. It's the hometown team, kind of getting giddy. And I went from, uh, you know, can you be here for 10 hours a week to, yeah, why don't you just leave the hospital in about three weeks. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. So you were doing m- mainly like ER trauma Yeah, so surgical stuff. trauma, a lot of... Uh, <clears throat> How were you uh, doing that as a, as a registered dietitian? What were you doing there? Yeah, so I was working uh, in St. Luke's Hospital in, in New Bedford, Massachusetts. So I had the surgical ICU and the, um, the psychology ward were my two uh, two areas of expertise. Helping so. people recover from those Yeah, those so issues. writing, uh, a lot of it was uh, managing internal care. So anyone who wasn't uh, eating, so you know, handling tube feeds or total parental nutrition, yeah. you know, calculating those needs out, working with you know pharmacy and the docs, it was never boring, but... 
I say I kind of traded uh, uh, life and death for wins and losses, so it's a lot easier. Yeah, but it's still trauma. It's That's still what I'm trauma, thinking. You know, right. you're going, you go from from different kinds of trauma in the hospital to um, manufactured or you know real time. Right car crashes basically on a football field yeah that's what that's what i, I was explaining to, uh, sports is intentional trauma right? yeah like we know it's happening but your body doesn't really care where the damage came from if it's a you know a rugby scrum or a, a 10 mile an hour car crash your body still has to recover from it and uh you know the uh i <clears throat> i can't remember who i who i originally heard it from but uh somebody referred to the body as a survival machine right and that's yeah. really its only job is to, to not die right so it's yeah. kind of like how do we how do we minimize the damage of sport and you know get you ready to do it again because you know it's going to happen that's kind of been my philosophy about child rearing too <laughs> just <laughs> just make sure they survive right, until, yeah. to adulthood and yeah. you're probably doing okay yeah. but uh yeah you're, you're just basically dealing with uh the, the the body's survival and recovery mechanisms right, right. especially doing sports nutrition yeah and that's that's the benefit of the the intentional part of the intentional trauma is uh you know it's gonna happen and mm-hmm. when it's gonna happen so you, you don't schedule you know a traumatic injury right. you know in the real world but you're able to put a little bit of contingencies around it uh when it comes to sport now when you first started um what was the emphasis back then i mean this was way before tb12 became tb12 yeah. Uh, so no, it, it was credit to to Bill to Belichick. He saw uh, an area of uh, uh, where he could gain an advantage. You know, and it had only been. I mean, I think at the time that I started with the Patriots, I think there was maybe ten, maybe fifteen full time at the collegiate level. Mm. So uh, it was Tom Osborne started it at Nebraska. He kind of brought the first idea of a, uh, you know, taking care of the health of the athlete and the recovery of the the athlete as as well as the physical and mental, spiritual, so kind of just seeing that was a missing piece. And, you know, so you've got someone like Tom Osborne, who's an innovator, and someone like Bill, Bill Belichick, who's an innovator, and just saw it as an opportunity to, to kind of out, out-recover the, the opponent, right? So, yeah. Uh, and from then, you know, it's really taken off, and it's, uh, it's great. It's great to see, as, you know, as we know more about how the body works and how an athlete works and, and whatnot. But, I mean, you know, at the beginning it was, uh, hey, like, uh, can you just make sure these guys don't cramp? You know, and that's that's, that's a benefit. You know, a hot game in Miami—that's that can make a difference. So, yeah, and then then from there, just like I said, as as testing, as as personalized nutrition, personalized everything uh, has grown. You know, we we know there is no one size fits all. There is no pregame meal that's right for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of adding that expertise and just kind of really being around uh, controlling the food supply from you know training camp to to postseason. Now, pro athletes have the means they've got the cash to uh, invest well and and invest in their health as far as like having personal chefs and things like that mm-hmm. what do you think is the percentage of these athletes that do it well i would say nowadays and, and truth be told it, it came up from the the collegiate level on up right so the collegiate level blew up way faster than the the uh, pro level did because you know you have to out recruit right so if I've got a chef and I've got a dietitian I'm recruiting against state college who doesn't ah there you go you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so then uh, you know it went from you know athletes who, who you know were at the end of their careers when I started you know kind of still working through like what counts as a protein what counts as a car what's a hydrating food to now it's like hey where's our dietitian because they expected it because they've had one since they were 18 right so mm, mm-hmm. I would say these days it's closer to more people have uh, at least a, a adequate uh, fueling and, and recovery strategy, but it's because a lot of the teams now have those strategies in place in the facility, yeah, and, and someone to to kind of help uh, facilitate that in the in the off season. But uh, the great thing about uh, nutrition and 
in healthcare and recovery is that uh, you feel it working, right? And once you do, you're like, oh, this is my new you, normal. Yeah, right? you start yeah. owning the results of right. that. Yeah, right. I, I always like that term of owning the results. Yeah. Yeah, so you do it, you feel it, you go, okay, yeah, this is, this is what I need to do. Right, and then you can tell when it's missing too, <clears throat> yeah. right? Yeah. But yeah, you still, at the pro level, you still have uh, a lot of collegiate athletes that are coming up that haven't had that advantage that you're talking about at the collegiate level of, you know, having the full-time dietitian and really making sure that they're eating well uh, so that they can perform well and recover um, at, at that level. Um, it's, it's a little bit of catch-up then at the uh, pro level, isn't it? Yeah, I would say uh, the two, I was most popular with uh, the young guys trying to make the team mm-hmm. and then and the uh, more experienced guys trying to hold on to their roster spots, you know, because in the middle, hey, genetics works a lot of the time, right? But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Being blessed does help. But yeah, you're right. You, you, And at both ends of that, they're looking at the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. They're looking at having that slight advantage, that slight extra bit of performance or recovery, right? Right. Yeah, and it's, it's such a small percent mm. that even get the opportunity to get there. So, you know, it's you, you get one shot, so you got you to maximize it. Yeah, God. Yeah, I, I, I see these guys sometimes like on the practice squads that, uh, you know, they just are, they're either, they're either blessed or, or uh, fortunate that somebody yeah. in front of them uh, gets hurt and then it's their turn to step up. And yeah, yeah it's like, God. It's, it's a mix of skill and gumption. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that gumption. Gumption's a great word. So at, at the collegiate level, I know that NCAA, um, even though this, this blockbuster, uh, decision in California, right? I mean, they were kind of forced by the state of California, right? That uh, that they would have to start allowing, uh, they would have to start basically paying these athletes for their image likeness and, and uh, whatever, um, which I think is great. But beyond that, they're a pretty large conservative battleship that's pretty hard to turn, right? Yeah, it's uh, there's we've made a lot of strides recently, and it, and a lot of it's just um, stopping and realizing because a lot of the rules that were in place were to you know kind of create uh, parity, right? Like it's it's understandable uh, a smaller school has significantly less resources than some of the bigger schools. So when it comes to food and and being able to provide meals, uh, that was seen as like a potential kind of increasing the barrier between the haves and the have-nots. Um, but you know, as 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 the sports nutrition field grew, um, we mentioned earlier, I was, I was on the board of the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitian Association. Where you know we're able to get enough people in front of the right people and be like, hey, this is health, right? Like this isn't necessarily uh, intended to be a performance enhancer. It's a it's a health issue, right? Wait a minute, you're talking food. You're talking like. Uh, teams providing meals to yeah. athletes? Yeah, so uh, prior to less than 10 years ago, um, you know, they had access to the meal plan, but uh, mm-hmm. given the, the structures of, of class and, and timing and scheduling, uh, you were able, you weren't able to provide uh, an extra meal around training, which, you know, we know is, is one of the most uh, important recovery opportunities, right? What, these guys need extra nutrition, really? Shocking, right? <laughs> Sarcastically, yeah. he yeah. asks. Yeah, no, and uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's one of the things I always mention too is especially when you go from the college to the pro you're feeling not only recovery and training but these kids are still growing so you're feeling human growth on top of that so yeah there's some increased needs right Hmm, Um, but the way the literature was written is uh, you know and when some of the the college dietitians like can we at least provide them you know a little something between here and class or here in the dining hall and it it, you know was parenthetical fruits nuts bagels yeah 
So that passed, but the interpretation was that you could provide fruits, nuts, and bagels. And depending on your interpretation... Seriously, those, th- that, yeah. those three? Yeah, and depending on your interpretation of the, uh, of the rule, you could provide peanuts, you could provide a grinder... But you couldn't provide peanut butter. So if they chose to grind <laughs> their own, I mean, and, that, oh, and that's man. that's just the that's the minutia wow. and the red yeah. tape of of when thoughts get turned into uh, legal policies, right? Yeah. Uh, but we were able to you know put enough information out there and get you know, kind of uh, we were able to provide um, unlimited feeding around competition, right? So it's not hmm. I would joke it's it's not it's not a cruise ship, yeah. but uh, you know if you're training at six a.m. There is fuel available at 6 a.m. if the dining hall is not open, you know. So it, it's it's been a major change there. Um, and then uh, there were certain things that were kind of prohibited just uh, around supplementation, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and then yeah, the, the first the one that grabs me is whey, just whey protein or just protein supplementation. Yeah, yeah, and that was just kind of it was. It, there were a bunch of supplements that were lumped together and yeah. just kind of banned. Which and again, it was at the time when you had. The, the the big budget program just kind of providing everything you know and, and everybody was you know it's back when you needed to add whey protein to everything right and that, mm-hmm. was, that was the that was the thing right um, so the the intent was to kind of and, and it was just unfortunate grouping of a bunch of like and I always joke uh, so I can provide milk I can provide dried milk solids okay which is essentially whey protein right mm-hmm. but you call it whey protein and now eh, and I don't know anyone's drinking dried milk solids but you know the, the point is there it's dried milk right there's a difference yeah. between a uh, a convenience form of a nutrient and then in a, like a botanical or something beyond that and then um recently we were able as the data came out uh, we started seeing people were uh, a lot of collegiate athletes were low in vitamin d magnesium iron um and now recently we've got some some research great research coming out about uh, omega-3 index and, and yeah. they're just low right <clears throat> so we were able to kind of uh Remove some of the restrictions on on omega three fueling. Previously, you had to go through a, a strict doctor's order. So there's there's been some relaxation to that because you know we were able to advocate and show, you know, uh, again these are humans. There's a I would say you, you can't have human performance without the human. And uh, one of the one of the biggest areas we, we see with athletes it's not necessarily at the highest end of, of performance, but uh, kind of taking care of some of those foundational needs, the the nutrient yeah. deficiencies. Well, right, yeah, and, and and talking it, it kind of amazes me that. Um, it took as long as it did for uh, NCAA to kind of come around, but yeah, you're you're talking about people who are performing at the highest level, um, and you can't provide them the, like the same meal plan as uh, the the freshman with his backpack schlumping along and going to classes. Right. And I mean, I, you spend you spend one. I know as you know, people who say uh, you know have their. Uh, opinions on on student athletes and what part of student what part is that yeah yeah you follow them around <laughs> for a day or two it's not you know there it's such a packed day and you know there was there was literally teams where i worked with where on paper they had about 45 minutes to get from class to a dining hall eat digest change get ready for practice you know so yeah. once you kind of everybody gets out of their silo and they're like oh all right the academics doesn't see the work they put in at 6 a.m in the weight room and then uh you know coaches don't necessarily see them at the uh, advisory center until nine, ten o'clock at night. So once you kind of able to pull back and like kind of present the whole picture, you're like, oh, okay, we need to we need to change some logistics around to, to kind of allow them. Even now that we can feed them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with a lot more frequency, uh, are we are we actually enabling them to then take advantage of that? Right. So yeah, yeah. I, I was talking with uh, some 
some people at uh, your former employer uh, at Exos uh, about collegiate athletes and, and those college players who were coming in to train for um, for the combine, mm-hmm. right? The, the football players coming in. And, and, and actually, it may not, have, may not have been somebody else. It may have been you that told me that, um, you know, these guys are coming in and they're they're student athletes, but they're students, and they're living sort of a student life on top of of being athletes, um, and they're not necessarily uh, eating well, and they are uh, fueling with uh, beer and pizza at times, and uh, you know how do you how do you get from that to uh, getting them to understand how important it is to fuel with good nutritious stuff uh, and supplement with those things, those uh, nutrients that you need to recover and to, to get out there and, and uh, do your best. And I think that that's the role of the, the performance team, you know, the uh, sports medicine team, the coaches, strength coaches, dietitians, to really uh, tie it all together, right? Like your performance, you, you have to fuel your performance, you have to fuel your recovery, uh, you have to fuel your health, but, but tying the, um, the outcome and the performance measure with, you know, so, all right, so you had a horrible day in the weight room today. Clearly, you didn't lose all your muscle overnight, right? right. Like, what's going on here? Is it sleep? Is it stress? Is it, you know, were you sick? Like, are you dehydrated? Like, right, like yeah. But you have to stop and think, okay, this is not my ideal performance. What of my normal routine changed, right? And, and what can be impacting that? And so a lot of it is empowering the athlete and giving them the knowledge to do it. Um, but on the flip side, it's also, I think, uh, an education piece, and, and, and that's on us as the performance staff and coaches to, to really, like I said, tie the, tie the you know, listen, like the, the goal of an 18 to 20-year-old is not necessarily to decrease their, you know, their cholesterol, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they want to be hydrated. They want to be the best. They want it. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just I, like sitting there and kind of like, edu- it's just educating intelligently, right? Like, like who's your end consumer? Who's your, who's your audience? Mm-hmm. And what do they care about? Right. So, so how do I get them? What's, what's my, what's my health hook? Right. 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 And then if it's like, Hey, you cramp every fourth quarter, let's talk about that and go backwards. There you go. Like, okay. Will you hydrate for me? We do this protocol. Cool. Once you, they're like, Oh, that, that's you get your nutrition's able to fix that or help me with this recovery. What else you got for me? There right? you go. And yeah, that's kind of yeah. it's kind of builds from there. But yeah, you don't you don't go from from having no no intention around nutrition to having a, a perfectly fueled athlete. Right? It's a, it's a process. Yeah, it's like it, right. It's like anything else. It's sort of them discovering uh, as much as you can push information at them. It's them discovering for themselves what works for them. Right. Uh, and. How much do you see at the top level, in the the coach's box, basically, uh, at the collegiate level and at the pro level, um, how many of these folks understand uh, and put emphasis on uh, nutrition and supplementation? I think it's uh, like a, from the front office level and the coaching level. It's 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 again once it became established as a, as a differentiator as an advantage, um, you know you you've seen the growth in the last ten years. Um, against, like I said, it was 2004. I was the first full-time in, in football, and now <laughs> pretty much every team has it. Uh, the last collective bargaining agreement, Major League Baseball mandated that every team have uh, an executive chef and at least a consulting dietitian, and most of those nice. turn into at least one full-time per, per organization. So, you know, it's just irresponsible not to, right, to control yeah. both the, the food supply and then uh, as we're seeing, you know, some of these, some of these athletes testing positive for... Um, for for banned substances that are n- not coming from the normal places, you know, accidental exposure to it, where there's no intent oh, to to yeah. to cheat, right? And it's 
doesn't matter how it get in your system, right? The rule is if it's in your system, you're, it's wrong. So, hmm. uh, so really controlling the f- food supply as well as the supplement supply. How often do you think it's purposeful, and how often do you think it's inadvertent? I think it's. Uh, I think for some of the things we're, we're seeing positives for, uh, I, th- I think there's 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 only two. There's either you're very intentionally trying to do it, um, or but I think a lot more because of the the way the food supply is and the, the numerous, you know, it's everywhere, it's on the internet, you can order from every, every website, can look official to, to the untrained eye. Um, you know, so you, and, and especially as you get to the the pro level, you've got everybody trying to, you know, you, you, you use their product once or it's in your locker once behind you, mm-hmm. you're now an influencer for them, right? Oh, right. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, the, the amount of stuff I threw out you know that that got to to the locker room, and you know a lot of stuff gets weeded before it gets there. And I was like, that's not, no, that that's a, that was a hand printed label. You know, like that's that's not a legitimate supplement here, right? But um, so yeah, I think it's I think um, I think uh, there was a time when someone was like, oh yeah, I took a tainted supplement, and we'd be like, oh okay, nice sure, story, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But um, uh, allegedly, but uh, <laughs> um, but now that there it is, you know, we're seeing. You know, we had a couple uh, triathletes test positive off an electrolyte powder. You know, we've seen a lot of the times uh, we've seen NFL, um, not just NFL, but NFL, where it's uh, it's not uh, a performance enhancer. It's it's uh, it's one of those uh, the gas station um, uh, nighttime performance right, uh, yeah, yeah, that they and talk about. So the, you know, they're they're so diligent about mm-hmm. everything around performance. They're like, oh yeah, no, this is like a herbal thing for me outside oh, sure. of sure how right? could yeah how could it possibly uh have anything in it that would be uh, harmful or or a banned substance or whatever right you know and, and it's interesting to see and and it's tragic as well the the three areas where you see products that are illegal drugs that are marketed as supplements yeah. the three areas uh that are the worst are um erectile dysfunction male enhancement sports mm-hmm. or um, bodybuilding and things like that, um, or weight loss, and mm-hmm. those are the three big ones. Those are the areas where, man, if you're going to venture into one of those as far as supplementation, you really better do your homework, right. because, like you said, you just stop at the at the uh, gas station and go, "Yeah, this looks okay." Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's it's a lot of times you will find it around the things people are, are historically uncomfortable talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So they're like, "Hey, I don't want to," so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to do this on my own. So sure. the ones I saw a lot, like you said, were were um, you know kind of the the sexual health ones, the hair loss or hair support, and then weight loss. Those yep. are things people just aren't uncomfortable, so they're more likely to turn to. Uh, an alternative solution, and and the good thing is uh, it's growing across sports. Is that uh, specifically Major League Baseball and NHL, and, and it's suggested in, in the other sports. Is mm-hmm. um, fortunately there's there's a company called NSF who does certified for sport, right? So it takes an existing you know just because it's legal to be sold on the market, and sometimes not even then, right? right Some of the yeah. products out there um, doesn't mean it's legal for competition, right? So it, it take they what they do is they take an existing supplement. They're not affiliated with the company, uh, and they test it uh, against all the banned substances for all the major sports leagues, Olympics, and whatnot. So it tests for that. So you, you kind of have a, a little bit of a protection there where, where you at least, it's not just, because a lot of times, unfortunately, the thing that is the positive or that the banned substance is not on the label, right? So a lot of people will check the label, check it against the banned substance list. 
and uh, you know you can get creative. Everything everything's got a Latin name, uh, this name, that name. You know, it's it's able to be listed a lot of different ways to, to trick the consumer. And, and some of the companies out there with with less than ideal uh, practices like intentionally do that, go sure. out of the way to mislead, right? Right. Or like you said, don't even list it on the label and give a little nudge, nudge, wink, wink about it uh, in right. the maybe in the product name, right. uh, and then. Next thing yeah. you know, the, the athlete is uh, you know testing positive and potentially ruining their ruining their career yeah. by doing so. Yeah, and I mean it's costly uh, at the NFL level. Uh, you get paid. You know, people don't really realize you play 16 games, you get 16 paychecks for the entire year. So you miss four games. That's a quarter of your your salary. You know, for the, your entire year. Right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so it, it is good. And, and like I said, there, there's growing support for the athletes you know when they're in the building right they've got support staff they've got you know sports dietitians specifically to look at these supplements but um you know the good thing about the the nsf certified for sport is that um it's available in the off season you know if you're if you're dealing with your agent if you're if you're you know a mom of a potential Mm -hmm. uh, collegiate or you know soon to be uh, drug tested athlete right and we don't talk about that enough. You know, we always talk about what ha- what's happening at the the elite level. Mm-hmm. You know, the the top college athletes, the top pro athletes, and and if you look at the numbers, right, of how many people it takes to end up at a certain number of collegiate athletes, oh, sure. and then how many people end up at the pros. You know, it's it's definitely it's absolutely like a one in a million shot. So right. there are a lot of uh, of of parents of young kids. Uh, and, you know, you see them out on the soccer field and such, uh, you know, really pushing their kids on, sometimes pushing their kids on a little too much. But, um, you know, there's a there's a huge emphasis in um, getting that kid to put out their best performance. Um, and those kids are not, for the most part, uh, getting the best nutrition or supplementation either. No, so, and, and, and some of the numbers on, on steroid use and, and performance enhancement use at the high school level, whether or not regulated, is it's pretty staggering. It's it's, yeah. it's surprising even to, to people who are in the in, in the you know health and wellness field. But um, I always say on the flip side, like if it's banned for competition, it's for a reason, right? And I don't <laughs> think you need to be competing and drug like if, if if it's bad enough, like an athlete shouldn't be taking it. Yeah. You probably want that protection in, you know, I'm clearly not a, not a uh, drug tested athlete at this point, but, uh, you know, it's, it's the more, you know, about it, you're like, wait, why isn't this just the norm? Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in this case, obviously when, when there's game checks and and eligibility tied to it, uh, you know, becomes a lot more serious an issue, uh, you know, so it's imperative at that level. Yeah. Uh, but it should be kind of common sense for anyone uh, yeah, at any level, right? Never really thought of that before, that, you know, high school kids are not getting tested. Um, I'm sure they, the high school, most high schools don't have the budget uh, to do something like that right. with all of their athletes. Um, I'm thinking maybe there might be some exceptions for some of the uh, high school football players in Texas where they, you know, <laughs> where they bring in crowds of 35, 40,000 right. people to their games. But um, yeah, it's it's just not emphasized at that level, um, and if uh, if it's not if PEDs are not emphasized at that level, then you really wonder about nutrition and supplementation too. Sure, right, and, wow. and again, obviously, it's it's a hard it's a hard um, arena to navigate uh, just to even get you know kind of true information around supplementation and whatnot and. Uh, you know, at, at that level, you're the the younger you are. You know, the the further away, uh, you know, any any longevity stuff happens. But you, you know, you're willing to take risks at yeah. that level, right? Yeah, right? So, 
again, it just comes down to as much, you know, as as much education as we can get out there to the to the youth population and start start the good habits early and the understanding early. Then it's just like I said earlier, coming up from the college to the brother, like, wait, well, this is what I need. Why is it not here? Right. Ah, that, yeah. That's what drives change a lot of times as well. So what would you th- what would you say are your top three reasons for supplementation uh, in any athlete, elite athletes, you know, kids coming up, whatever? Yeah, so I think I, I obviously uh, you, you know you'll talk to every dietitian will tell you that they're a food first mentality, which right. is which is great. But but the reality Gotta is have that foundation, uh, right? But, but and the reality is is part of it is convenience, you know, like uh, or, or GI uh, tolerance. You know, if you're like, hey, you've only got thirty minutes to eat. Uh, between now and your class and it's either eat a protein shake now you know and, and, and you know get at least some recovery and so yeah. or nothing for six hours you know then um th- so there's the convenience aspect of it and then some of it like i said as, as the studies are coming out some of the even with access to, to unlimited feeding at the ncaa level uh we're finding you know you mentioned the the combine athletes um there's a research paper coming out about their uh, even with you know supported by a dietitian supported by uh access to food, still low in vitamin D, still low in magnesium. Uh, you know, omega-3 indexes is kind of wonky on, on a lot of these guys. So mm. uh, there are some needs where either uh, they're just not able to get in the food supply, um, given given the way they train, or, or the demands of the, the sport. You know, like there are, you, like I said, you're going through trauma. If you, if you look yeah. at the, the calories you would give someone, you know, recovering from a traumatic injury in the in the hospital, like they they're increased, right? So you mean you're not going to get that directly just from from <laughs> your diet, right? Just from food. Yeah, and I mean, in some of the uh, you know demands, like the, the amount of food would be unrealistic to try and ask. Uh, I think that's a good point. Yeah, in, you know? yeah, you're, and, you're just uh, not going to be able to stuff that much food in your face to um, not only deal with what's going on today, but to recover from uh, some uh, deficiency if you're deficient in magnesium, vitamin D, and all that. Um, There was, uh, we found in looking at some very elite uh, NBA players, really the same thing you're talking about, vitamin D, iron, magnesium, all pretty much low, almost across the board. Yeah, I mean, it's a population issue, right, too, yeah. that they happen to be part of the same population that's also deficient, right? So, mm-hmm. again, like I said, there's a huge human side of human performance. And, and one of the things that, that it surprises people a lot is um, that fit and high-performing, you know, freak athletes, you know, specimens, fit doesn't mean healthy, right? Right. And, and that's what people don't understand a lot of times. So that's where I see, like dealing with someone's electrolytes or, or kind of, you know, uh, supporting their magnesium levels. That's where some of the people are like, yo, I've been trying to figure this out for, for years, yeah. right? And a lot of times it's it's those mind, those things all of us need, right? They're just basic human needs. Right, yeah. You look but, at magnesium that's involved in 300 to 500 uh, different biochemical reactions. And, right. and every time you make ATP and use ATP mm-hmm. for your uh, for your your muscles to work, you, you gotta have magnesium. So yeah, yeah it can really yeah. impact somebody, and, and I, they might might not even know it. Right, and too many times I think we we look at um, energy systems and and you know muscles firing and and whatnot in a vacuum, and not yeah. realizing that hey, other things in our body are using those nutrients too, right? So it's not where we're increasing our demand among baseline. Yeah. But our baseline needs are also now increasing, right? So it, a lot of people don't don't take that step. And kind of kind of realize, okay, this is what's happening for sport. What is the rest of the body doing right there? Right. right? What so about the like, rest of your biochemistry here? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, you know, you, you know, it's it's the application of science to sport is is where we're at, and yeah. it's, it's great that there's there's growing and there's more 
uh, information available. Athletes are more educated to start with, so um, but we're able to make some of these leaps, and you know, research has been going on for you know. When I started, there was rugby, uh, nutrition, a little bit of soccer uh, research, and then uh, extrapolation, right? Yeah. So now we're actually getting some data in the different sports and whatnot, and it's able to go a little bit from what I think to what I know to what we can prove. So, um, you know, we're, we're improving every day. What are your top three supplements for athletes? And I know I, I, athletes is, right. it's a big uh, category here because there are so many different types from, uh, you know, curling to professional football. Yeah. So I was, uh, and it's, it's kind of different for everybody, but I like it kind of three general categories is one hydration obviously like it's just important for every sport whether you're a power athlete or an endurance athlete Mm -hmm. uh and making sure you're not you don't start dehydrated right which is another whole situation right um and then sleep is probably the second one i would look at the most um you know so there's a couple different things whether you're traveling multiple you know cities multiple places uh it's a timing issue you know or whatever Mm -hmm. or just just the quality of sleep around uh around competition and training and whatnot so uh you know kind of uh the sleep supportive supplements are kind of my second and then and i I think it is you know the foundation it's the magnesium it's the vitamin d um which we kind of know most athletes are pretty low in right and it's just making sure you're, you're hitting those foundational needs interesting that you mentioned sleep you know people don't think about that and don't think about uh the the uh elite athlete that is traveling quite a bit um and not just traveling a bit i mean it's it's also just uh, day before game or day before event type of uh, you know not sleeping well. The rest of us all know if you got something going on the next day that's a big deal. Right. You tend to not sleep as well the night before. So uh, anything that can help that with an athlete is going to help the next day and their performance. You would hope. Yeah. No. And it's a huge conversation, especially in uh, Major League Baseball and in the NBA with their frequent traveling. Right. And the, the games are prime time. And it's so not then, just once a week, right? So then you're <laughs> so you're playing uh, on a away game, and you're on a multiple multiple stop road trip. So you're sleeping in a hotel that's not your bed, right? So mm-hmm. that's quality's probably gonna be poor anyway. But you don't finish your your competition until you know nine ten o'clock, and then you may be getting on a plane. Yeah. So even if you were able to have a bed right there, you're not you're not gonna go from the high of competition to sleep, right? So then Rarely, there's there's yeah. and yeah. then you've got so what does your social clock tell your internal clock? And they're they're not talking so. Um, and, and we, you know, the, the research is, is growing about the, the detrimental effects of sleep deprivation. So, um, and now, you know, you're going to be doing that for an 82 game season or 162 game season. Like, I mean, come on now. It's just, uh, it's, it's, but it is a conversation. So it's, you yeah. know, it's, it was, it was cool that we brought nutrition and, and, and whatnot as kind of a, a must have, but mm-hmm. now we're looking at the specifics of nutrition. Like, okay, should we. You know, there was uh, the Vancouver Canucks uh, years ago, probably about 10 years ago, um, you know, brought in a sports psychologist and, and some uh, support staff because they, they traveled, I think it was like, I'm making this up, but like three times further than anybody else. So then they, they started traveling the day before and staying mm-hmm. or, or staying in cities in between. So they were, they were the first team to kind of really embrace moving the schedule around ideal human conditions, right? right which yeah. Is, which is great. So that's starting to take off. You'll see a lot of teams now, if they got two West Coast games, they'll stay, right? Or, you know, uh, the London game for, yeah. for the NFL. Do you go and not acclimate and just be there short enough? Or do you go early and, you know, like disrupt your whole? So you can go a lot of different, but the fact that that's in the conversation at the highest level, like yeah, I'm talking great. about at the front office embracing it earlier, it's uh, it's becoming almost common sense. 
Awesome. Joel, I appreciate you talking with me. Great conversation. And I uh, hope you come back and we'll do it again. Yeah, happy to. All right. Thanks. All right.